good issue for all women. Hello, how are we all? Whether you're at home and trying to work or homeschool the kids or, you know, both, or you're one of the incredible frontline workers keeping essential services afloat and the country running, I salute you. And also welcome you to this week's Sunday Chops, in which I catch up with Sam Smethers, CEO of the Fawcett Society, to talk about women and coronavirus and how the pandemic is further highlighting structural inequality. Fun, right? Okay, it's it's not fun, but it is true. And also, Sam does have some positive news on organisations within the women's sector working together and her hopes for what those at the top might learn because of this historic event. Hope, eh? Hmm, I'll have whatever she's having. Hello, Hannah here. Now, as you know, this is usually the point in the podcast where I interrupt to say something about you being able to give us some money via the magic of Patreon. But I know everyone's having to tighten their belts financially and also that there are probably some very worthy charities that you are supporting with your time and money. And so how can you continue to help us? Well, you can listen to us. If you're furloughed and you're at home or if you're taking your regular hour walk, why not have a route around through our back catalogue to see if there's anything you haven't listened to? Because listens equals money for us. Equally, you could spend this time spreading the news about Standard Issue. I know a lot of you already do this, but if you see anyone on Twitter asking for suggestions of what they could listen to in this time, just get in there and say Standard Issue. Thank you all for your help and support at this time. And that includes everyone who already supports us on Patreon. Hello, I am joined on the phone by Sam Smethers, Chief Executive of Excellent Women Focus Charity, the Fawcett Society. Sam, hello. Hello. Thanks so much for joining us. So let us sort the basics first. In case any listeners don't know, please tell us a bit about the Fawcett Society, why it was set up and the work that you do there. Well, at Fawcett, we're a membership organisation, a campaigning charity, and we've been campaigning for women's rights since 1866 when Melissa Fawcett set up the first petition for women's votes as part of the beginning of the suffrage movement. So we continue her work and campaign on women's representation, financial equality for women and uh, women's rights more broadly. I know this is a massive question, but apart from the obvious direct illnesses and fatalities, what impact is coronavirus having on women and girls right now? Well, the impact is huge and it's also um, profound right now in terms of the crisis but actually the the real focus that force is taking is is what's the longer term impact going to be so we're all very focused on the crisis and the immediate effects which obviously are really significant and we're seeing you know women and girls losing their jobs we're seeing parents having to spend time caring for their children because schools are closed and nurses have closed and that's unequally impacting women and girls we're seeing women at risk of being murdered in their homes because they can't get out. They're in lockdown with an abuser. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're already seeing, you know, a significant increase in, in cases that are being reported to domestic abuse charities and, and to the police. So it's really a significant and profound, huge financial consequences, consequences for women's safety. There will be undoubtedly a real long-term impact on gender equality. And we really are concerned that you know, we're going to be rowing the clock back on women's rights here, turning the clock back and finding ourselves in a place where actually the progress we had been making over the last 10, 20 years really has been undermined and unravelled quite quickly by this crisis. 
I'm going to guess that none of the issues that coronavirus has highlighted have come as any sort of surprise to you. What coronavirus has done is really thrown up and shone a very bright spotlight on the extent of the inequality in our society. And, you know, I'm not the only one saying that. You know, I'm saying that obviously from a gender perspective. But if you look at race and ethnicity, for example, um, you know, you've got disproportionate impact on the black and minority ethnic population in terms of who's catching the virus, you know, who's dying from the virus, because they're the ones in those frontline jobs, they're the ones in the kind of poorest communities and also in the inner city areas. We've got disabled women really struggling to get the basics such as food, you know, single parents as well struggling to feed their kids because they can't get out. We've got massive inequality in our society and we've been living with that inequality for, for many years and actually seeing it get worse, not better. And now this crisis has absolutely shone this spotlight on it and we can see incredibly starkly that it is not being equally experienced at all. You know, we are all in it, but we are certainly not all in it in an equal way together. We are in it in a very unequal way. And, you know, that is playing out in a, in a very stark sense in terms of who's catching it, who's dying from it, and actually, you know, who's going to be losing their jobs, who's going to actually be at risk, physical risk, and also financial risk at the end of all of this. And, you know, we've really got to focus on the causes of that inequality and how we reverse that, because if we don't, then when we come out of this crisis, we're actually going to see that gap widen. We're going to, we're going to have it hit those communities even harder than it's hitting them now. And I think one of the problems is, and it's certainly something that Fawcett, along with a lot of organisations that you're collaborating with, is highlighting, is that we're not really seeing women being involved in any of the decisions. Certainly in the UK, the face that the government is putting forward is very much a white male face. Surprise there. But could you explain why we need to make women more visible when we're talking about this pandemic? There are a number of reasons for highlighting this. And it's very interesting, actually, when you look at women leaders around the world. And there's been some really interesting comparisons already drawn between the initiatives and the approaches taken where you've got countries where you've got women leaders making those decisions versus countries where you you have men Mm -hmm. making those decisions. And the ones who have taken early action, really taking it seriously, you know, New Zealand, Denmark, you know, countries that have really tried to close that virus down very early on consistently are are being led by women. And so that may just be coincidence, but we think actually it's got something to do with their approach to leadership and the fact that they're less likely to be complacent and actually are listening to the advice that they're being given early on and really taking that uh, preventative uh, measures that we, that we needed to take. And, you know, when we get to the end of this crisis and we're looking back at it, I think that would be one of the very stark lessons that we'll all see, um, you know, which are the countries that have not done that and, and are then uh, paying the price of it in terms of the, the numbers of people dying and, and catching the illness. Why is it important to have women there? Well, fundamentally because, as we're already seeing, it has an unequal impact. So it's disproportionately impacting women's lives, yet the decisions are being made by men. So... You know, the the absence of any consideration of the impact of lockdown on women who are living in abusive or coercive relationships, for example, was staggering. You know, the, is the first thing you're going to do is to tell women to stay in their homes. You have to give them a route out. You have to then invest in the services and support so that those who cannot stay with someone who's who's posing a risk to them have somewhere to go. Absolutely. Um, but there was no consideration of that. There was no thought at all given to that at that point. It was just you just told to lock down. Those women literally were were left in a very dangerous position. And we saw that the domestic homicides increased rapidly. immediately, immediately, or basically, because you're putting families under more pressure, you're you're putting 
increased proximity. You've got financial pressure on households, so she might have been bringing money in, maybe she isn't anymore. You've got children at home who would have otherwise been at school. You've got layer after layer of additional stress and risk. There was no thought given to that. Now, I'm not saying every woman in a decision-making position would have thought of that, but we know, evidence shows clearly, that where you have women in positions of power and decision-making, they're far more likely to think of those issues and care about those issues than men are. It's a simple fact. If you look at what women in Parliament have done as MPs, they've talked about things like domestic abuse and childcare and the gender pay gap and all the things that we talk about. And, and it's only the men have only done that in response to and on, on following their lead. It's the women who have led the way yeah. on those issues. So we absolutely have to get women into those decision-making positions because they'll, they'll see those issues. And secondly, because we just get better decision-making anyway. You know, the big risk with these sorts of crisis situations is you have a kind of group think mentality. They all kind of think the same way and they all reinforce each other and then you get bad decisions. And I think, when again, when we look back at this period, I'm sure there will have been some seriously bad decisions made at government level and they'll all have been literally looking at each other thinking the same way. And, you know, you need other people, diverse groups in, in, in the population, diversity of thinking to really cut through that so you get better decision-making. And then, you know, who's going to prioritise gender equality at the end of it and who's going to prioritise women? Well, you know, they're not, it's not an add-on. You won't achieve an economic recovery. You won't achieve a way out of this unless we centre women and girls because disproportionate impact on them in terms of harm. Well, actually, you need to reverse that if you're going to get the whole country out of this. You've got to put a feminist approach, a, a gender equality approach at the centre of it in order to do that. And I've got no confidence at the moment that that's what this government's going to do. Well, I wanted to ask you, as someone on the ground of all this, how do you think our government is doing on this score? And I must very much add that I'm asking this on the day that Liz Truss, the Women and Equalities Minister, dismissed concerns over the number of female ministers leading the daily Downing Street coronavirus press conference as, and I quote, tokenism. I think... There are a number of things which government have done which have been welcome. So I want to start off by saying that. I think the furloughing scheme is very generous. Attempts made to create additional support for small businesses and so on have been welcomed. Mm -hmm. But really, that doesn't go far enough in terms of actually meeting the need. And, and then when you get to provision for the voluntary sector and the women's sector, that's basically non-existent. I mean, you know, that, that's really been weak. Actually, so I think it's some of what they've done have been quite generous and significant, and some has been have been has been really quite weak and insignificant. I think the failure to think about women's sector services, frontline services, you know, women escaping abusive situations, that I think has been a big failure on their part. And you know, we do look to our women women's minister, we do look to our you know home secretary for the, and, and others who are there as women in decision making room that they ought to be arguing for the case for those services supporting that themselves rather than us and others telling them afterwards that they should have thought of that. The thing that is really concerning though in terms of I know it's concerning everybody is about protective equipment for frontline workers yeah. and again, you know, you've got women disproportionately in the position of being those frontline workers so um, whether it be healthcare uh, workers and social care workers, but also cleaners, you know, cleaners in, in medical situations, are, are we even considering them as being frontline workers? Are they even visible to anybody? Are they getting any kind of protective equipment at all? Or, you know, but, but hygiene and cleanliness in hospital is so important in a situation like this, and it's even more important than ever. But does anyone think of them? You know, they're on really uh, precarious contracts, probably working for a contracting service, but they're not even directly employed by the NHS. Yet they are fundamental to our you know, health service functioning and getting rid of this virus. So we've got to, when we talk about making women visible, it's making those women visible. 
so that we can actually genuinely solve a problem which we all share, you know, so we've all got an interest in prioritising groups like that. Um, uh, and then the social care sector, I just, you know, it's just astounding to see that that has been such an afterthought and yet we know that the most vulnerable people who are going to catch this virus are the older people who are dependent on those social care services and yet we haven't prioritised protecting the care workers who go in on a day-to-day basis and care for those older people and you know again on the lowest wages and, and the poorest pay you know we don't value them anyway in terms of their pay but to not even think about how do we protect the older people in those services and how do we protect those care workers and to wait until we've got thousands of, of older people dying before we actually supply them with PPE is just astounding. I'm not saying that's because they're women, I'm saying that I think it's to do with the invisibility of care and social care has always been a poor relationship to the NHS. It's never been yeah. seen as integral to it. And, you know, that's being played out. So all the kind of inequalities that we've seen and been talking about for years are now being played out sort of times a hundred because you can see it, you know, after the thought of social care, oh, it's too late. We haven't put that in place. We should have done Hello there, listener. Jen here to ask you a little favour, if I may. If you're not doing so already, you can follow us on all of the social medias. Well, not all of them because we're old and we don't know what all of them do. But on Twitter, we are at Standard Issue UK. On Facebook, we are Standard Issue Magazine. And on Instagram, where it would be particularly helpful if you would follow us, we are at Standard Issue Podcast. Also on Twitter, you will find me at Inspira Jen, Mickey at Mixta Noonan and Hannah at That Dunleavy. Ah, go on, give us a follow. I was watching the first in your Kraken event series, which is online, hashtag Corona Conversations, and that is you chatting about these issues with brilliant guests. The first mm-hmm. one, uh, which is still available on the Fawcett website, was a belter with Caroline Criado-Perez, Pragna Patel and Dr. Marianne Stevenson. And I think it was Marianne who said that it's something like 98% women who are cleaners. And I, I talk about women for a living. It's what I do. I'm interested. And I had no idea that the stats were that high. It is astounding. When you look at the um, concentration of women in certain sectors of the economy and always the lowest paid, lowest valued uh, sectors and roles, I think what she was referring to in that session was the sort of jobs at risk index, which autonomy, I think they're called, I'm going to hope I'll get that right, as a think tank who have come up with that data, I, I would refer you to that because it's really interesting data because it was it was looking at mapping who are the ones most at risk and who are the lowest paid. And surprise, surprise, you know, the lowest paid were also taking the biggest risks in terms of exposure to the virus. Mm-hmm. So, and that's also people like, you know, supermarket workers, just people who are in frontline roles who are having to physically go to work and um, where the rest of us can stay at home, you know, they can't because they've got to go to work to deliver their job and uh, to do their job um, and who are literally keeping the country going right now. And it's it's that fundamental check on our own sense of well, who and what we value in this country, really, because we, at the moment we are getting it so massively wrong. And that's the sort of thing where, you know, when we come out of all of this, We've really got to think hard and, and behave differently, do things differently. You can't go back to business as usual. But I think we, we're going to face a massive choice. You know, we're, we're a fork in the road, really, or it's coming towards us. But we're going to be either in 1930 at the beginning of a recession 
and potentially having another massive period of austerity to try and pay for all the kind of bailouts that the government's been issuing over the last few weeks. Or it's in 1945, and we're going to have a completely new vision for the kind of society and that we want to be. We're going to invest in our welfare and our public services and our NHS. We're going to try and create the sort of society we want to be. So it's either a positive vision, which requires investment, um, yeah, and it does mean spending even more money, but actually that's the only way we're going to get out of this, actually, is to spend our way out of it. Or are we going to go back to a, a, a mentality that then closes us down and it becomes like 1930? So I think, you know, that is the choice, any political choice that, that this government's going to face, which, whichever, you know, whoever's in power at the time is going, to, is going to be faced with that reality. And we really hope and urge the people there to make that decision and say we've got to opt for the positive vision because that is how we create a better society off the back of this. Um, so it's not a part of the political point, but I think it's it's really stark and fundamental now and women are going to be at the forefront of that because it, the choice that's made about how we get out of this will impact massively on their lives and we can either do something that's going to help women and girls and help the rest of us or we can do something that's really going to turn the clock back. I mean, I know which one I'd vote for, but I, I really don't want a referendum. <laughs> I've seen a lot of what is, I I guess, just exhaustingly to be expected pushback. And I mean, my tongue is very firmly in my cheek right now. But um, haven't we got more important things to deal with right now than sex inequality? I've seen that so many times. And I wondered how you managed to stop yourself just screaming into the sky every time that is brought up as a point. Well, the reason people say that is because they think it's an extra, it's an add-on, it's a nice-to-have, it's not an essential. And so they, that's exactly the, the mentality that will say, well, we'll deal with that when we've dealt with everything else that's important. You know, So you can have your agenda of quality once we've solved all these other problems, which are far more important because... And the difficulty with that is, it, you know, all the things I've just been saying is that you can't solve the problems you're currently confronted with unless you do it mm-hmm. in a way that promotes gender equality because of the way it's impacting on women and girls' lives. And actually, if you look at the data on, you know, on sex disaggregator in terms of who's catching the virus and who's most vulnerable, at the moment, it suggests that men are the ones who are most vulnerable. So yeah. you still need to take a, an approach that, that looks through the lens of sex to understand how are women and men experiencing this current crisis differently? So, you know, a blanket approach that doesn't see those differences is going to fail. And it will fail all of us. You know, we all we all have an investment in this. We all have an interest in, in moving forward and getting this right. So it's not about doing gender equality when we've got time to do it. It's that if we don't do it, if we don't take a, an approach that is thinking about the differences between women and men and thinking about the impact on women and girls, we will fail and we'll all fail together. You're so right. I have seen so many people screaming at Caroline Criado Perez on Twitter, men are dying. And you're just like, yeah, that's kind of a point. We need this sex desegregated data to try to solve that and other related issues. Yeah. And we also need and the data by ethnicity too, because we can see the disproportionate impact on BAME people as well. So it absolutely illustrates the point we've been making for ages, that you absolutely need to collect monitoring data Quality impact assessments are not just a process that, you know, politically correct people do. It's actually about understanding the impact on people's lives. If one good thing comes out of this, at least registering that point, we have to move forward in a way that sees the reality of both policies, decisions, 
you know, uh, events such as this and how people experience them differently and who, who's really at risk and who's really on the front line and who's really going to be the ones most impacted. If we can get that message through and try and change the way we do policy and change the way we make our decisions so that we can actually do the whole thing better and be more cost effective as well in the process, then that would be a good thing, you know. But it is frustrating when people see it as a nice to have or an extra. And I think this whole crisis is really illustrating that it is central to us moving forward and, and dealing with that. Definitely. Sam, give us some positive news. There is a lot of great work and collaboration going on in the women's sector at the moment, right? Absolutely. We've got over 60 women's organisations and campaigners like Caroline uh, signed up to a supportive statement about making women visible during this crisis. And we're doing lots more work to publish additional campaigning documents. There'll be more evidence coming out from us. We've got some survey work coming out in the next couple of weeks as well that really evidence the impact on women and girls. But I think the other positive thing that I really think is important to say is that there are some potential legacy changes from this period which could have a positive impact. So I know we've been talking about the risk of turning the clock back, but there are certain things where we might actually see a leap forward. And one is the whole working from home, flexible working mm-hmm. thing. You know, we're, yeah. we're normalising something that we've all been told we couldn't do. You know, actually, yes, we can. Lots of jobs can be done remotely and flexibly if we want them to be. But it needs to be properly managed and supported and all the rest of it, but it can be done. So that, I think, is a big game changer. The impact on women. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the impact on women is so, so vital. Stop being told that they can't work at home, that they have to be in the office, that they have to compete to do those long hours in yeah. the office. Changing the way we think about work and how we design work, I think that is a really healthy thing. I wouldn't design it with my children in the house at the same time, <laughs> can I say? I would send them to school. <laughs> so I think I think doing with the schools open again would be nice. But that illustration is, is really helpful to, to sort of challenge the sort of prevailing assumption that work has to be done in a certain way. And then the other connected... But uh, I think even more significant thing is seeing our parliament operate in a different way because, again, so much of how parliament operates is based on tradition and convention and, you know, it's resisted modernisation for so many years and yet here we are with, you know, MPs zooming in for committees and and, uh, sessions in the chamber and actually it can be done. You know, it can be done. You can have remote access to, to parliament so you don't have to physically walk through a lobby to vote. You can do it remotely. You know, it's not hard. So I think if we could have a lasting legacy for modernising Parliament that would actually be more inclusive, not only for women, but for you know other groups too, you know, like disabled people, for example, who might want to participate in politics but can't see how they could combine it with being an MP in, in Westminster. Well, this whole experience can show that it can be done and we can open up our politics and do it in a different way. I'm hopeful that there will, there will be some positive uh, lessons from this and positive sort of outcomes. But I think some of the big fundamentals will come back to political choices and the kind of vision we have for our way out of this and way going forward and we have to put women and girls at the heart of that. What can people do to help and to get involved? Well they can certainly get involved in our coronavirus conversation so they can uh, go to our website and look at our events page and sign up to that. The next one is on the 28th of April um, and we're going to be running them uh, on a regular basis so just keep an eye out for those. They can donate to support Fawcett or donate to support any women's organisations. So I've put a plea out you know the women's sector is like another emergency service. They support women's organisations, support the ones who are on the front line and really kind of get behind them because they really, really need your help and support right now. And they can also, you know, just sign up for our newsletter because there's going to be lots of campaign actions as we develop the campaign going forward. So just stay in touch and we'll, we'll begin you lots of lobbying and other campaigning work to do.
You mentioned Corona Conversations there, and the next one is April the 28th, so that is Tuesday. If you're listening to this on Sunday, what can we expect? Who have you got? We're focusing on women, work and welfare, and, and women struggling to survive, actually, in that conversation. We've got maternity action, talking about the impact on pregnant women, both in the workplace, but uh, also those who are struggling to get the kind of maternity services and support that they need, and anxious about that. We've got the Resolution Foundation, um, who have produced a huge amount of data already on uh, the impact of this crisis and trying to get the government to focus on helping the lowest paid and those most in need of help. And we've got the Independent Workers Union, who are focusing on some of those low-paid workers as well. And we may be adding additional speakers to the list. It's, it's a changing theme. So we will, we'll be talking about all the, all the issues that affect women and girls, but in particular with relation to those who are the lowest paid and who are the hardest up in our workplaces. And where can people find the Fawcett Society, please, Sam? Go to fawcettsociety.org.uk and you can become a member, sign up to join, or you can make a donation, or you can just sign up to our newsletter for free. Um, it would be just great to have you engage with the campaign as we go forward. Sam, thank you so much for all your hard work and for raising awareness. I think it's incredible. And thank you so much for sparing some time to chat to us. Thank you. Standard Issue for All Women.